the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It was huffing and swatting at him. It's universal when you're in trouble and you can't figure out how to get yourself out of trouble that if you have a cell phone, you call 911. That's what he did. Well, that is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled The Higher House. Again, it's The Higher House, and it is a part of the Revelation series. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with his message entitled The Higher House. That's The Higher House. It's a part of the Revelation series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike. It happened in Alaska on Penguin Creek Trail south of Anchorage on a recent Sunday. I mean, it made national news, in fact. The 30-year-old man got a little too close to a mother brown bear and her cub. So she started swatting at the man. Now, he was told that what you do is you kind of start yelling at the bear, you hold your ground, this kind of thing. Well, he did all that, just made the bear matter. And so when that bear started going after him, in fact, began to cut into his body and, and bite on him a little bit, when he got loose, he started running for his life, the smartest thing he did. He ran as fast as he could for the nearest tree, the second smartest thing he did. And when he finally got high enough to escape the bear's claws and teeth, he reached into his pocket and he did the third smart thing that saved his life. He pulled his cell phone out right there in the middle of Alaska and he called 911. Have you ever done that when you're in trouble? Few of you have. Well, I have. I mean, when I see others in trouble. I call 911. From the top of the tree, he reached for help. He reached for higher help. He was up a tree without a paddle, without a clue, and somehow he didn't know how to get down. So he told the dispatcher, I'm bleeding bad. Well, that kind of worked. He used an explicative to describe just how bad it was. I won't repeat it. He could hear the bear huffing just beneath him with its powerful arm. It just kept swatting at him. It was huffing and swatting at him. It's universal when you're in trouble and you can't figure out how to get yourself out of trouble that if you have a cell phone, you call 911. That's what he did. It took two hours for the rescue team to get there to pull him out of the tree. He was hospitalized. He returned home a few days later. And this story made national news just recently. The man is alive today because he had the good sense to climb to a higher place where he could call 911 and get some help. Friend, we are living on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. And if you think you can rescue yourself by trying hard, you are mistaken. You see, we need to stand on a higher ground. We need a higher house. We need to call 911 from the vantage point of safety to make it through the issues of the last days. We live in a world where people get put down all the time. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been put down by anybody? Raise your hand if that has happened to you. 
It has happened to me. Now, I'm going to ask another question. Have you ever put someone else down? Come on, fess up and be honest. Okay, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have all been guilty of this and we have experienced the barbs of it. I frankly do not like to be around people who take pleasure in putting others down. So when I have put others down, I don't feel good about myself. Are you that way? Okay, a few of you are. The rest of you, no hope for you, right? No. There's hope for you. Hang in there. Now, I can remember as a young person how difficult it was to navigate through the church in normal social situations with my schizophrenic mother. I mean, my mother would embarrass me, would embarrass the family. She'd say just the right thing to make it all go wrong. I can remember talking about the night that she saw the UFO come down and the angels were talking to her and it was her time to leave to go to heaven. She stayed on planet Earth for us and she'd tell the whole church that. And I was sitting there knowing that this just doesn't work. And I saw people putting her down, talking about her, laughing at her, and I was trying to make up the difference. And I remember just how awful embarrassing it was in church. There was a period of time I didn't want to go to church because of how embarrassing it was. I believe the church is a place where the mentally ill can come, and they ought to have a place here without being ridiculed because they make us nervous. You hear me? I just don't have the spiritual stomach to see someone put down who's trying to pick themselves up for God, no matter what their walk or journey is. But let's face it, we live in a world where people get put down all the time. We've done it too. The sitcoms make entertainment out of it, and the churches do the same, don't they? The table talk, the backroom talk, that puts another person down. The great Christian writer William Arthur Ward once wrote, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. Love me, and I may be forced to love you. You know, when you're down, you can't pick yourself up. It's time to look up and get up and rise up until you see the face of a father friend who sits on a throne in heaven in the higher house who loves you more than anyone down here can. Friend, We cannot find perfect love in this world. We find it with our Father God in the higher house. And when you discover that he loves you, you may be forced by the truth, the truth that is counter to your feelings, the truth that somehow is radically different than church culture, the truth that if he loves you, you can without fear love him too. John was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. His Christian road was a hard one. He didn't have this popular brand of Christianity that says you prosper when you believe. He didn't prosper. He struggled. He was hurt. Here he was alone on the island of disappointments, hoping for something to make sense out of his life. He was put down and persecuted because he loved the truth, and the truth for him was Jesus. And to carry the name of Jesus did not make you prosperous. It made you a target in his day. Christ came to John on Patmos as the ruler of time and the answer to the church's needs in every age. He came in the vision of Revelation 1. In Revelation 1, John saw the vision of Jesus, and then he heard Jesus in Revelation 2 to 3 speak to every one of the seven churches, and he gave relevant counsel to the church to the end of time. When the last letter was finished and the vision of Jesus was over, John must have wondered if there was anything more for John to see and hear. He had seen Jesus. He had heard the words of Jesus. He had heard the counsel for the seven churches. Was there anything left for him? Christ had finished his letter to the church of Laodicea with the invitation. 
an invitation that was made to them, but he must have wondered if it had implications to him. It was the invitation to have fellowship and to open a door so Jesus could come in and eat with his people. He was waiting. Revelation 3.20, we find the invitation. Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I mean, there's nothing better in life for me. Maybe you're with me on this. There's nothing better in life than to sit down and eat with Jesus. When I fellowship with people who love Christ, I'm fellowshipping with Christ. When I fellowship with people who want to hear his word and we talk about it, Jesus is there. You know, that's what happens at prayer meeting. I don't go to prayer meeting so I can talk. I go to prayer meeting so I can interact with people who love God. When we have these small groups on Saturday night and Monday night in various people's homes, Tuesday and Thursday, I mean, I go because I want God that I can get in that fellowship around the table, sharing the word of God, eating in fellowship with Jesus Christ. The Lord's table is the best table with the best food. I mean, I'll tell you the kind of interaction I don't like. I don't like going to the theater with somebody and watching what the world puts in front of me and then acting like it's fellowship with anybody. I mean, the best friendship, the most connected life is around the things of God with the people of God. Time is short. Do you want your life to matter? How many of you want your life to matter? I want my life to matter. I mean, let's get that stuff out of the way that gets in the way of the stuff of God in our church. And Jesus makes it very clear in the last words of the Laodicean church that if they overcome, Christ will give them the gift of sitting down with him on his throne just as he sat down on his father's throne. Now think about that. To be able to sit down on the throne of Jesus Christ and to fellowship with him. Now it just so happens that Jesus' throne is the father's throne. Revelation 22, verse 1, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You cannot escape the truth here that you find right in the passage that Christ has the right to take you from the lowest spot on planet Earth where there are certain circumstances that prevent you from knowing God, and he has the right to transport you to the very throne of God and in time to have you sit down with God on his throne. Who would believe that a human being would have that privilege? And he has the full authority and the absolute power to bring you to God, to bring you to the seat of authority of God, and for you to take all your troubles, all your challenges, all your life situations, and help you sit down with God and get it all sorted out. How close is God in Jesus? And Jesus, the God that is way up there who holds all the cards, is right down here where you need him most. And Christ is the one who can take you through the Spirit into the presence of the Father, not a Father, the Father. Philip asked Jesus for the favor that we should really be asking Jesus for this Father's Day. John 14, 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. I mean, the goal of religion, is it not to know God? Show us the Father, and that will settle the deal. We'll know who you are. There is a hunger in every honest heart that wants to know God for real. And there is a fear in the same heart that if you find God, you may not like what you find. Maybe God is a little too scary to really know. Maybe God 
would fry you with his little pinky in a moment if he had the chance to get even with your sin. Maybe that's what God is like. Maybe God is really your adversary instead of your friend. Maybe God is looking for a single mess up, a single mistake where you broke his law to use it as the excuse to kick you out of his presence. Maybe that is the God that you are seeking. If so, you are to fear him. Philip was asking the favor that it takes courage to ask. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And he was asking the same question that Moses asked. Let me see your face. And God told Moses, no one can look on my face and live. He was asking the same question. It took courage to ask this question. In John 14, 9, Jesus plainly says, if you have seen me, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Revelation 1, 12, and 13, John saw Jesus again after many years of service and persecution. And he needed to see a little more than Jesus on the island of Patmos. He turned and he saw Jesus. And when the vision of Jesus ended, there was something else that he needed to see. Friend, where is God when you have seen Jesus? And you need to see God and Jesus again. Where is God when the vision of Jesus fades from sight and you are all alone on the island of disappointments where you have been put down very hard by that certain someone who tried to get you? Where is God when you need God to deal with the trouble of life? Now, this is the context of the next section in the book of Revelation. Jesus promises the church of Laodicea that if they overcome, they will receive the gift of sitting down with Jesus and God the Father on the throne of God. I mean, God never promises us a guaranteed outcome. We must overcome in Jesus. I mean, God doesn't come to the believer and say, you know, it's, it's okay not to overcome. No, he says, I gave you my son so that by faith in Jesus Christ, you will overcome. The one who has the son of God will overcome. And you can't get any closer to God than to God's throne. So the greatest privilege of overcoming is given to that final generation of believers symbolized by the church of Laodicea. Relation 4.1, after this, I looked and lo in heaven an open door. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up hither, and I will show you what must happen after this. Now, what does after this mean in the context? Let's analyze the text together. It means after John saw the vision of Jesus in Revelation 1, and after Jesus finished the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, John saw something again. You see, he sees a new vision that's related to the last vision. God has found him. Christ has interacted with him right there on the island of Patmos. But now he sees something more that he needs to see. He's very clear what he saw. In verse 1, he says he saw in heaven an open door. Have you ever felt like heaven has this big door and it's shut on you? You ever felt that way? You, know, you pray and your prayers go like ping pongs or whatever. They go bang and they come back kind of bat them back and you hope they'll stay up there and someone will register them. Have you ever prayed like that and felt like maybe God doesn't register down here with you? Now look what we have in this verse. Let it impact you. It says he saw in heaven what kind of door? Come on. An open door. Now John saw in heaven an open door. What's a door for? A door is for going from one place to another place, isn't it? You leave one room and you enter another room through a door. Now we don't need PhDs to figure that out. Am I right? If you have a door, what's it for? You move from one room to another room through an open door. Or it can be used to lock you out of a room. Now, the best way to lock you out is just to have a wall. 
the fact there's a door implies that at some point in time, you can go from one room to another room. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. The fact there's a door implies that at some point in time, you can go from one room to another room. Now, in John 14, 1, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. And heaven itself is a big room that holds them all. Have you ever wondered if you can get into that room today? In fact, I was just watching the news. I wasn't watching the news. I, was, I went online to a blog. It's a news blog. I don't watch the news anymore because the Internet's a better way to do it. And, it, and there was this guy connected to NASA who has said that in the next 20 years, we could build a Starship Enterprise. Now, not with warp drive stuff, but with a nuclear reactor on the thing that it would allow us to get to Mars in three days. And then we could get to some of these larger planets in the solar system in a few months, which would mean that we could essentially have access to our solar system. Now, that's an amazing thing. And he's even proposing the idea of designing this thing to look like the Starship Enterprise. He's a Trekkie gone wrong, okay? Something wrong with his thinking. But people have this notion that we could somehow get from here to outer space in a hurry. But how do you get to God that way? How many lifetimes would it take to get to the nearest star? Four light years. I mean, to travel at the speed of light for four years to get to the first speck of light but God is way out there. Heaven is a big room. And have you ever wondered if you can get into that room today? In this new vision of an open door, there is a call to go through the door into the room. For the person who has seen Jesus, there is an open door in heaven because of Jesus. I mean, let this verse impact you. Heaven cares about the stuff you're going through right down here. Heaven cares about you personally. And if you have been shut out from the world because you chose Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've been put down by that certain someone because you took a stand for truth and you're going to be a person of God, not of the world, if you, it really doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what your former association of friends thinks. It matters what God thinks. And John saw in heaven an open door. Now we ask a second question, what is the door? John heard the answer before because Jesus had spoken of it in a parable. The best scholarship today indicates that the Gospel of John, which was written by the same person, was written after the book of Revelation. The Gospel of John is most likely the last book written in the New Testament. It is the book that transitions to a generation of believers that never saw Jesus. In fact, all the miracles in the Gospel of John are done at a distance. Christ's word is carried, and then there is a delayed reaction, and then there's a successful outcome. And it's to illustrate that even if you don't have the living Christ or the apostles, if you have the words of Christ through the apostles, it has the same effect for the generation that never saw Jesus. So there's not much missing in here. The Gospel of John is probably the last book written in the New Testament. So in the chronological order of things, Revelation 4.1 comes before John 10.7 and John 10.9. The vision of the book of Revelation impacted the gospel of John and not the other way around. Now let's look at John 10.7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, it doesn't say he might be saved there, does it? I mean, come on, what does it say? If you enter by the door who is Jesus, you will be saved. Now, I don't know about you, that means we got to get inside. Am I right? I mean, staying on the outside is not optional if you want to be saved, which means you have to interact with the door to get in. I came that they may have life, Jesus said, and have it abundantly. It's not ugly living on the other side of the door. It's abundant living with life because of Jesus. John saw in heaven an open door, and that means John saw Jesus in heaven again. He saw him on Patmos in Revelation 1, but he saw him in heaven in Revelation 4.1. And when he saw Jesus in heaven, Christ was the open door that takes you from where you are to where God is. In Revelation 1, Jesus walks in the midst of the seven candlesticks. He's close to a church. He trims the candlesticks because he wants those lampstands to shine bright in a dark world. But in Revelation 4, Christ is the door that opens the heart to the throne of God. He's the access point to the doorway that shows a God we never knew. You'll notice in Revelation 4.1, the text says the call was made by the first voice that spoke to John that sounded like a trumpet. Now, contextually, we can figure out who that is. The voice, of course, said, come up here. So pertinent question, whose voice is this voice? In Revelation 1.10, in the first vision that we have studied so far, and in Revelation 1.13, it's very clear that the voice belongs to the Son of Man. Go back in Revelation 1.10. Look at the verse with me. John writes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a, what does the text say? Like a trumpet. Okay, now remember Revelation 4.1 says, I heard the voice that I had heard before, which was like a trumpet. So here's the voice of a trumpet. Now go down to verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Then look at verse 13. And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man. So whose voice is the voice of a trumpet in the context? It's the voice of Jesus, the Son of Man. So when he hears the voice that he'd heard before that was like a trumpet, he's hearing the voice of Jesus again. Christ is the door in the vision of heaven, and Christ is the one who makes the call to come up here, to come through the door. It's a talking door. Have you ever met a talking door? Come on in. You might step back. But Christ is the door who makes the call like a trumpet. Come on through. Here means that Jesus is up there as well as here, and here is where he is at. In Revelation 1, Jesus appears on the island of Patmos, walking in the midst of the seven churches. That's where we live. In Revelation 4.1, Jesus is heard making the call for John to come up here, which is there where God lives. The voice in the first vision is the voice of a trumpet. And the voice in the second vision is the same voice of the trumpet in the first vision. It's Jesus' voice. So why is the voice of a trumpet used here in the call to come up to the higher house where Jesus is the door? I mean, why the trumpet voice? Couldn't he have used some loud audio mechanism like a megaphone? Couldn't he have used something like an amplification system? It's very specific. His voice was like a trumpet. Why use that picture? Well, there are reasons why. Trumpets were used for many things in the Old Testament. In fact, Numbers 10, 9 and 10 provides a summary of them. It's the best place where you can figure out what they mean. So let's just go back to the Old Testament and look there. And here God is speaking to Moses. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who opposes you, 
And boy, that's happened with us, hasn't it? We've had adversaries didn't want us to build our church. We'd like to kill the church. And so we've had to engage in conflict. Do we do that on our own? No. Look what it says. Then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. I'd like to have a trumpet in church every now and then. You know, when things are going hard for us, just have some child come up here and blow it hard so we can do what it says. It says you are to be remembered when you sound the trumpets when you go to war. Now look at verse 10. On the day of your gladness also and at your appointed feast, at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall serve you for a remembrance before your God. I am the Lord your God. I mean, it's very clear. Twice it said, verse 9 and verse 10, that when a trumpet was blown, it was for the purpose that you would be remembered if you're in trouble and you would be remembered in your day of gladness, your feast. How many here would like to be forgotten? No answers. That's a good answer. How many of you like to be remembered? What did the thief on the cross say when he's hanging there? Life a mess, unable to fix it all. I mean, his friend was jeering at Jesus, and he turned to him. Maybe he was too at first. And he saw his response, and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? You're going to be there. You're going to be there with me. You know, trumpets were used to sound an alarm so that God would save his people from their enemies so they would be remembered. So trumpets were used at the sacred feasts of Israel for the feasts of gladness. They were used when a sacrifice was slain. All of this was for the purpose of being remembered. Amen. Well, that concludes the first portion of The Higher House. Today's Reaching Your Heart. It is a part of the Revelation series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, that website, reachingyourheart.com. And thank you so much for listening today. Worship services are Saturdays at 11 o'clock. And if you would like to attend in person at the church, we would love for you to do that. And that address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.